Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Ebenezer family and online friends. I want to begin my sermon today with some good news. As you probably know, the government is releasing some of the regulations they have been, that have been placed on churches this coming Friday. And uh, so that means that beginning next Sunday, we're going to be returning to in-person gatherings of 150 people. Of course, we still have to practice social distancing and wear masks, but we're, we're used to that, so that's all right. The encouraging news, though, is that with the scheduled vaccine rollout, It sounds like this is the beginning of the end, and so that's really encouraging for us. So what does that mean? Well, it means that uh, next week we're going to open for one in-person gathering at 11, that will begin at 11 a.m. And then beginning the following week, which is Palm Sunday, and throughout the Easter weekend, we will open a second service in person as well, beginning at 9 a.m. Of course, the, the online service you're watching today will continue in its current format indefinitely. So you can choose to continue to invite us into your your host church or uh, as things open up, meet with others in a home hub group or you can sign up and join us here in person at Ebenezer. So that's exciting and and I have to say I'm really looking forward to seeing everyone again and worshiping God with you and with others from our Ebenezer family in the weeks to come. As you also are fully aware, uh, this past 12 months has been a, a challenging time for all of us. Um, every organization, every person, including the church. And as we've openly talked about over the last couple of weeks, the pandemic has exposed some gaps and ministry challenges that that have really uh, forced church leaders like us to ask some very honest, difficult, and yet necessary questions. And we don't want to stop this conversation now that the church is reopening because many of the challenges that we are facing have been pre-existing conditions which have been magnified and accelerated during the COVID time when we haven't been able to meet together in person. Now, some of the questions we've been wrestling with are questions like this. How do we stay connected as a church family when we aren't able to meet in person? How do we engage in God's mission when we aren't able to run our ministry programs? What is God saying to us during this season? Are, Are there things He wants us to learn? Uh, refine, change? Are there things that he, he wants to teach us about ourselves or, or about the church? In other words, what needs to shift in our thinking and in our actions and in our programs? And these questions have formed the backdrop for our current sermon series called Shift. For those new to us, we've identified three critical shifts that we all need to make. And uh, Two weeks ago, Pastor Kelly and I addressed a system shift that is going to be necessary for us to move forward. And a system shift helps uh, answer the question, how? We said that our systems need to shift so that everyone has someone. And not just someone to notice them or, or call on the phone or care for them, but to have a group of people where you can do all of life together in community. And by all of life, I mean to grow deeper and stronger in our faith, to grow deeper and stronger in our connections and care, 
and to reach further and wider as we engage in the mission of God together. And it's this mission shift that Pastor Kel and Michael Fast explored more deeply last week. A mission shift helps answer the question, what? It moves us away from a a temple spirituality and leads us back into the world and the spaces God has placed us in. Now today, I'm going to begin a conversation about a critical role shift that needs to take place, both in our thinking and also in in our activities, if we're going to be the church that I think that God wants us to be. And the key question I want to pose today is simply, um, who does what? You know, to, to who has God given the responsibility of carrying out spiritual ministry in the church and in the world? And what are the roles and responsibilities for those who are in God's family? Now, there are several passages of Scripture I will be, I will be using as we consider this shift. But the two foundational scripture passages I'll be using are found in 1 Peter chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to take the time to read both of these today, although we won't get to the second passage until next week, but it will provide some context that will be helpful for us. Uh, 1 Peter 2, really just two verses, verses 5 and 9, and it says this, that, that you yourselves are being built like living stones into a spiritual temple. You're being made into a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are God's own possession. And you have become this people that that you may speak of the wonderful acts of the one who called you out of darkness and into his amazing light. Then Ephesians chapter 4, and just a few verses there from 11 to 13. It says this, that that he gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. And his purpose was to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son. God's goal is for us to become mature adults, to be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. Okay, let's go back and and let me re-ask the the question I posed at the beginning. Who does what? To who has God given the responsibility of carrying out spiritual ministry in the church and also in the world? And what are the roles and responsibilities for those, like you and I, who are in God's family? Now these questions uh, are challenging and we often wrestle with them even if we don't uh, realize it. And, and we do so for several reasons. First of all, because, uh, because how that question is answered in Scripture differs. You see, the teaching of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant is different from the teaching in the New Testament or New Covenant. And that creates some confusion, whether we realize it or not. Second, it's because church history and, and denominations have, have very dif- different theological views and practices when they answer the question, who does what? And the third reason is because the present day uh, North American church in particular, the model that we have does not consistently follow and practice the teachings of Scripture. Okay, now let's take a closer look at this morning's text in 1 Peter chapter 2. It says again this, You also, like living stones, 
And let me just pause there because I, I want you to notice that it's plural, not singular. And in fact, as we move forward, that the concept we're going to be talking about today, which is the kingdom of priests, is, is always corporate. It, it's, it's, as we're going to say, find out, it's the priesthood of all believers, not just one person. It goes on to say that we are, are being built into a spiritual house, again, a, together as a whole com community, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9, nine uh, continues to describe our new identity and it uses the words that we are a chosen people, that we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And all those words describe a covenant relationship that God has with us. And why are we chosen to be God's people? Well, so that we might declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Now, I, I, I need to get a bit historical and, and theological with you for the next few minutes. So, um, drink a quick cup of coffee and listen close. The, the first Peter 2 passage is one of the key passages that a man named Martin Luther used to write his 95 Thesis, which he nailed to the Wittenberg Castle church door in Germany approximately 500 years ago. And, and this document caused a huge shift in Christendom that is still being felt today. His document challenged the medieval church of that day with its hierarchy and exclusive system of leadership. And this led to the, the Protestant Reformation within Christendom. Luther's document contained, um, amongst other things, five sole, which were essentially five foundational principles that he built his, theolog his theology framework on. And I just want to share what those are. He talked about sola or, you know, solo or alone, sola scriptura, which means scripture alone, sola fide, which is by faith alone, sola gratia, which means by grace alone, solo Christo, through Christ alone, and soli de gloria, which is glory to God alone. And it's in the fourth sole the Luther addresses something we now refer to as a theology of the priesthood of believers. Now, although he didn't use that phrase exactly, um, he recognized through passages like 1 Peter chapter 2 and, and many other passages in the New Testament that, that all baptized believers are priests. And all baptized believers are given gifts from the Spirit of God to serve God. I want to dig into this just a bit deeper. Now, I realize that we don't use the term priest or priesthood very often in our setting here at Ebenezer. So I'm not exactly sure what's going through your mind when you think of a priest or priesthood. Maybe it's some Old Testament image of an old man in a robe wearing his ephod and other spiritual clothes. Maybe it's a picture of a Catholic priest dressed in a robe, uh, waving an incense censer as he recites a prayer. Uh, maybe it is a group of men wearing black shirts with a white tabbed collar, who you see uh, at times doing weddings or funerals or doing hospital chaplaincy. But as we're going to see this morning, God wants our image of a priest to be broader than those images. He wants, he wants that priestly image to shift from, from a religious priest to maybe an office executive in a downtown business in Saskatoon 
or uh, an engineering student at the U of S or an all-star center on your hockey team or basketball team or a single parent or high school student or grocery clerk, clerk or teacher or coach. You see, because according to this passage, we who are in Christ, meaning we who have put our faith in Him and received His promised Holy Spirit, are priests. And in this passage, uh, Peter is quoting other verses in the Old Testament. God uh, said to His people at Mount Sinai, which we find in Exodus uh, chapter 19, just before He gave them the law, He says this, You will be to me a kingdom of priests in a holy nation. Or later in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 6, it says, uh, he says, a time will come when when, uh, you will be called the priests of the Lord and you will be named ministers of our God. And in both these passages, God is broadening a definition to include an entire nation and not just a select group within a nation. Now, to really understand the role and function of a priest, we need to go back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, ministry was done exclusively by the tribe of Levi, who were priests and workers appointed by God. Now, if you don't know uh, the background there, the Levites were the tribe of Israel, descended from Levi, one of the twelve sons of Jacob. And the priests of Israel were a group of qualified men from within the tribe of the Levites who had responsibility over aspects of the tabernacle and later the temple worship. Now, all priests were were to be Levites according to the law, but not all Levites were priests. Now, both priests and Levites' roles were very clearly defined. And if you want to know how defined and, and you are wide awake, I would encourage you to go and read the book of Leviticus. It lays out in great detail what the priests and Levites were supposed to do. We're told in the book of Leviticus that, that uh, some more things about the, the priesthood and Levites, that only perfectly healthy Levites in the prime of their life could be active in service. And it was symbolizing the perfection and holiness of God. And specifically, they had to be ages 25 to 50. So that would mean that I would no longer qualify. They would have to be without physical disability. So if you maybe cut off your finger uh, the table saw you wouldn't qualify anymore. They had to be without disease or sickness. And then to be called a priest was even a more exclusive club. It was not enough just to be a male or to be a Levite. It wasn't enough to be healthy. A priest had to be a direct descendant of Aaron. And one of the key roles for the priest was, was to function as an intermediary between God and the people. And priests would officiate many of the offerings required by the law of Moses that happened throughout the year. You know, I'll just name a few that you might recognize, like the Passover sacrifice or the sin offering or the guilt offering or burnt offering or peace offering. There's also drink offering and thank offering. All these offerings that happened were administered by the priest. And under the old covenant, the high priest was appointed to offer both both gifts and sacrifices. And it says that specifically the high priest could only enter the Holy of Holies in the temple uh, one time during the year on the Day of Atonement. And and what I want you to to pick up from what I'm saying is just the word exclusive. The role of the priest was very exclusive in the Old Testament. Not anyone can do it, even if you wanted to. Now, 
you also need to realize that the role of the priest was, was meant to be a picture or type or copy or shadow of the true high priest, which was Jesus. And, and this role of, of the priest continued up until Jesus, the true priest, came. And then his life and death opened a new and better way for us. And Jesus' death and the resurrection and ascension created another significant major theological shift. And it changed who could be a priest and it changed the role of the priest. Now, let me again just give you some background. Um, you might remember that at the moment Jesus died on the cross, the curtain in the temple tore in half and exposed the Holy of Holies, symbolizing that, that now access to God was open to all through Jesus Christ. And the second major event that took place around that time, around Easter, which we'll be celebrating shortly here, which propelled this major theological shift forward, was, was the coming of the Holy Spirit after Jesus ascended into heaven on the day of Pentecost. And we're going to look at that next week, though. We don't have time this week. Okay, so, so that first shift was, was from the old covenant priests under the old law to a new covenant priest with, with Jesus as, as the main priest. And see, after Jesus died, priests were no longer needed as mediators between God and his people because Jesus was the ultimate mediator. 1 Timothy 2 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. We see that the Christ was the final priestly mediator between God and his people and that now we in Christ share in that role through him and with him. Uh, Jesus also became the ultimate high priest. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23, it says, Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. It goes on to say that such a high priest truly meets our needs, one who is holy and, and blameless and pure and set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. That's Jesus. It says that unlike the other high priests, Jesus did not need to offer sacrifices day after day for his own sins first and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. And that's what Jesus did for us. We also see that under the new covenant, all believers can now enter the most holy place continually by a new and living way, as it says in Hebrews 10, through the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, we also see that under the new covenant, Christians are not dependent upon uh, the priests within the church to, in to interpret scriptures for themselves or mediate God's blessing or forgiveness uh, for themselves. All Christians are, are, all, all Christians are equally priests through Christ and stand upon the same ground before the cross. Which means again that, that I, don't, I don't have to uh, go to someone else to understand scripture. I can go to God and ask him to help me. I don't have to go to someone else to get my sins forgiven. I can go directly to Jesus and get my sins forgiven. Under the new covenant, instead of a select few, God has given all men and women his Holy Spirit. And again, we're going to look at that more in detail next week, but just the passage of Scripture is Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, and it says, and it, and it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all people, not just a, a small group of people, and on your sons and on your daughters, and they'll prophesy. 
and your young people will see visions and your old people will dream dreams. Again, that's just not you know, clergy or the Old Testament priests. That's, that's open to everyone. And even upon my male ministers and upon my female ministers, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. It's amazing. Now, the early church oriented themselves around this new spiritual reality. They saw themselves as the body of Christ, as living stones, as it says in 1 Peter 2, who formed a new temple in whom God's Spirit lived. And they saw themselves as um, almost like mobile priests and living temples who served the world around them. They totally oriented their lives around this truth. And they adjusted their lives so that they could be about their father's business, just as Jesus had been about his father's business when he was on earth. And for the first few centuries, the church relied on, the, relied on and practiced all the gifts of the Spirit, both for ministry inside the body of Christ and for mission to the world around them. They saw the gifts that God had given them uh, to serve each other and, and, and to serve the world, and they used them. Now, however, uh, over the centuries, this wonderful news that Jesus was the one true and only high priest seemed to fade, and a human hierarchy crept back into the church. This is where the story of Martin Luther and the Reformation fits in. There was a a second shift, and and it was a a shift backwards. It was a shift away from the priesthood of believers and back to a system of earthly priests. You see, uh, the earth, that medieval church, they believe that, that God works ex- exclusively through a select class of priests who administered the sacraments for the church. They believe that the church was, was part of this celestial hierarchy where everything in heaven and on earth had its place. And they would model themselves after God and the archangels and the angels and they would, they would have things like a pope, cardinal, bishops, priests. And they believe that the priests were and are a unique, exclusive class of individuals who have been gifted by God to to contemplate and complete the things of God. However, uh, through the study of Scripture, this man, Martin Luther, came to a totally different understanding. You know, he believed that all people in the church are priests and able to do ministry. Uh, The doctrine of the priesthood of all believers states that that all believers in Christ share in this priestly status, that there is no special class of people who mediate the knowledge and presence and forgiveness of Christ to the rest of the believers. And and all believers have the right and authority to be able to read and interpret and apply the teachings of Scripture. It means that, that in and through Jesus, we now have a new identity and that we have new responsibilities and we have Uh, new roles, and in fact, new power to accomplish that role in the Holy Spirit. And that's why he says to us that you're a chosen race, that you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And the reason for that is so you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, when we proclaim the excellencies of God who called us out of darkness and into light and offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Christ, through our sacrifices of uh, praise and through us being living sacrifices, 
we declare that, that um, God is the God who ransoms people from every nation. Now, let, let's take that history and that theology and, and I want to fast forward now to the church today, the church in the 21st century. If I were to ask you, how would you describe the pre-COVID, I'm going to define it a little bit more here, the pre-COVID North American church of today? Uh, my, my question is, have we embraced that new role as God's chosen people, as the royal priesthood, as God's holy nation, as God's special possession, that, that Jesus um, paid a great price for us to be able to have with that huge shift so that we all can be priests. You know, are we a kingdom of priests who, who know and live our role as priests inside and outside of the church? Well, um, I'm not convinced that, that overall we've done that. Certainly some of us have, but not all of us. All of us. One modern-day theologian, um, he writes this, he says, even where the priesthood of all believers stands as a theological conviction, and by the way, um, the priesthood of believers is a theological conviction of the Baptist, but even where uh, the priesthood of believers stands as a theological conviction or an ecclesiastically, ecclesiastical community, it is rarely practiced in the church, that's what he says. You see, it, it seems almost like uh, instead of becoming a kingdom of priests, we've become a kingdom of consumers. You know, do you see yourself as, as the kingdom of priests? The, the priesthood of believers, when practiced, removes the gap between clergy and lay people and between specialized professionals and non-professionals from vocational and volunteer. It means that we have direct access to God through Jesus Christ. It means that as living stones, we are built into a spiritual house that we could be mediators of God to our community independent of a building or an in-person gathering. It means that we together, because, uh, because priests are, are, is never singular, the, the we, we, can be, um, we can join other people in, in this community. And we can build bridges to help the world discover the truth about Jesus Christ and build a bridge from God to, to the people. You see, it seems to me like, like it's time for a second reformation. The first reformation returned the Word of God back to his people so that as priests we could access the Word of God ourselves and we could understand it. But I think the second reformation is going to be to return the work of God back to his people. And for that to happen, more believers need to understand and act in the belief that they are called and gifted and empowered as the kingdom of priests, the ministers of the gospel. And we need to once again embrace the truth that, that every believer is a priest, regardless of his or her full-time occupation. And, and that doesn't mean that, um, when I say that, that we're just trying to figure out how we get you to be a kingdom of priests inside our church to serve our programs, which is the way that we've often framed this. We, we framed it, how do we employ more lay people to do church work? 
you know, and see the problem with that, as we discovered this last little while, is that it assumes that, that, that viable ministry only happens inside the walls of the church. And if that's the case, then this last year has been a total waste for us. See, the, the better question for us to be asking is, how can we see ourselves and deploy God's priests to impact the world for Christ, to impact the places where we work, to impact the places where we, we spend our time? And the challenge for us is, is, is that we need to develop these, this on-mission mindset of Christians who, who understand their primary ministry assignment to be where God has placed them. And that could be in the past and moving forward, it could be in your home. It could be if you're a high school student or university student, it could be in your school setting. If you're someone who lives in a community, it could be amongst your neighbors. If, if you're a marketplace person, it could be in your marketplace, wherever that is. You see, what, what sometimes happens though is, is we, we continue to say one thing and we do another. Like even think about it, the very thought of, of you coming to church on Sunday and sitting to hear someone like me or Pastor Kelly or Pastor Kel get up and tell you how to think about the scripture goes against what I've just talked about. Now there's still roles to play, right? And we're going to look, about, look at those things next week. But we have to be careful that we're not creating this passive consumer mentality in our churches, that we need to, to not treat you as lady, but treat each other as the kingdom of priests. And to recognize that, that, that we're on a level playing field. There's nothing lesser that the lead pastor of a church and a high school kid working at a grocery store who both know Jesus Christ are both priests. It's not lesser. Our, our roles might be different. We might have different gifts. We may have different responsibilities, but, it, but it's not a lesser thing. And, and so today, just as we close, I just want to, to encourage you, when you look in the mirror today, to see, to see uh, that you're one of God's priests called to, to do his work, called to be able to go to the Father on your own to get forgiveness, to receive understanding from his word. And you're also called to be able to mediate this understanding between God and man and, and, and be a blessing to other people as you do that. Because God called his people to be a blessing and he's calling us to, to be a blessing and to declare the things of God. So I'm going to stop there because we want to look at the second part, which is the gifting around that next week. But let me pray. So Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word and, and thank you for all that you accomplished on the cross, Jesus. That you have, have opened the way for us that we could be your priests. We could be your chosen people and new people of God. And help us to, to understand what that means and looks like as we move about our days as we move about our home and our friendships and our workplaces and our places of recreation, that we might see and understand that. And God, uh, help, us, help us to understand that as priests, you've called us to declare your praise, that we might, we might continue to think about and declare all that you've done for us. And so we just say we love you and we thank you for this. 
I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening. Thank you.